Hi guys, good morning, afternoon, evening, night, wherever you're listening to this podcast, and welcome back to Teachable Psych. So for our first guest today, I address him as Father Brian. He's the head of school of St. Benedict's Episcopal School, which is where I used to go through from K through 8th grade. And I got the pleasure today of being able to interview him. And bear with me because this is my first episode in interviewing someone. So I hope you enjoy it. So, can we start with you giving us a little introduction about yourself before we start? Sure. I'm um, Brian Sullivan. Uh, kids here at school call me Father Brian. Uh, I'm the head of school at St. Benedict's Episcopal School, and um, I served here also as uh, the priest in charge, or what we call a rector in the Episcopal tradition. Um, so, I've always enjoyed working with kids. And uh, this is just the next stage in my ministry being head of school. Okay, so do you have any experiences you'd like to share about with psychology? Um, I think the big thing is we um, in seminary get a pretty, um, uh, well, we have one whole semester that we spend on um, talking about mental health as part of pastoral care. Um, we are not psychologists, um, but we are trained to um, listen and then have the resources to be able to pick up like a DSM, I guess we're on DSM-5 now, um, and, and just see if, if what we're dealing with could fit into one of these categories so that then we send whoever we're talking to typically to um, a trained psychologist or psychiatrist, depending on um, what seems to be going on. Um, again, we don't diagnose um, or anything like that. And then on the school side, um, we have students who get learning psychology profiles. Um, so if there are uh, reading um, disabilities or um, behavior differences or um, dysgraphia is one of the things and dyslexia and things like that where a diagnosis gets pulled up, we use um, learning psychology profile to give accommodations to students who need them. Um, so on that end, and then also um, as uh, someone who runs a school, but also as a priest, we have chaplains and they, they will meet with, um, we call them soft places to land so the kids can go and chat. And then again, we um, usually recommend that they go see a, a trained psychologist, um, therapist or psychiatrist. Okay, I did not know that. Thank you for sharing. Yeah. So, yeah. what's your take on how psychology is a, related to education? Um, especially education is, um, you know, the, like the lear the learning profile is the big the biggest thing. Um, you can really figure out what's going on with a child who may not be reading on level, um, and and find out that they're just not processing fast enough. Um, or they are processing in a way that they can't understand it. So the and dyslexia, the left hemisphere and the right hemisphere um, don't talk fast enough to one another. Uh, so there's a little bit of a delay. Um, and then dysgraphia with math, if, if kids aren't good with math, um, that's part of it. And or it could just be uh, a child can't see. And so you send them uh, to a learning psychologist and typically they have you take a sight test or they don't hear. Um, and then they do a hearing test. So 
Um, it may not be something psychological, it could be something physical, but uh, that really starts that process. Um, and then, uh, uh, you know, the hierarchy of needs um, with a child, they have to feel safe in order to learn. Um, so being fed and uh, um, having a place to sleep and all of the things that um, in a private school, we don't necessarily deal with as much. Um, they also have to be a sound mind. And I think um, with COVID and being isolated from each other, the social impact or the antisocial impact, I guess, of COVID, um, you can really tell a difference with uh, some of the children who are struggling with mental health and maybe some depression, low grade. Um, and we've had a couple cases that are a little bit, a little bit higher. Um, and then finally, I think in middle school, knowing the difference between what is going on with a, a, a child's just being changing physically and all the hormonal changes that happen, um, that either being normal or um, not normal and um, having a nurse there to sort of help the physical side of that, but also being able to um, give children, uh, you know, or parents, I guess, in this case, um, a suggestion that maybe they should go talk to someone about what's going on. So what do you think is the number one problem for teachers when they have to teach or motivate students? Um, don't know if this is psychological, but it's definitely empathy. Um, I think if teachers could understand a little bit more about what children are going through, um, they won't just look at the product or the assessment or, you know, the, the grade. Um, they'll actually understand that, you know, what's going on beyond that. So at St. Benedict's and because we're smaller, we have a better chance of getting to know kids um, and maybe what's going on in their personal life. If um, uh, like a family's going through a divorce or a move or a death in the family or knowing that there's some reason why behavior might've changed with a student that allows the teacher to be there for the student, um, not just because their grades aren't good or, you know, they forgot to turn in a math test. There's a reason. And um, that that sort of empathy and walking alongside a student rather than standing up at the front of the, you know, front of the room and teaching and having that be the only interaction, the only thing. So the emotional component of that empathy. Okay. Um, do you think everyone should at least get a bachelor's in psychology? Um, I mean, to my uh, background, I didn't need a bachelor's in psychology to know enough about it that um, I'm not an expert. Um, and I also, I mean, that's one. So the answer to that would be no. But I do think there should be some training um, with social emotional learning. Um, the slang is SEL which has a big psychological component. So how do children, why is it that children um, didn't do as well at home on Zoom um, and they do so much better when they're in a social setting learning? And then what are the emotional needs that that child has? Um, so the younger, younger the children, the more we spend time in the morning checking in, um, doing a morning check-in. Um, and there are components in SEL that are all psychological, um, you know, um, competencies around uh, self-esteem, um, how you treat a neighbor, your empathy or compassion towards someone else, um, the ability to get through things. So um, 
you know, grit is was one of the terms that uh, educators use for a long time, but it's more perseverance and knowing that if you don't do well, you can keep going. So all of those are components of SEL and then being able to measure those um, is somewhat controversial, but I don't think it takes a psychologist um, to be able to do that, but I do think it wouldn't hurt by any means to have a, a background in psychology and then, and then a master's in education. Well, I might have missed this, but could you explain what SEL is? Yeah, social, social, emotional learning. Okay, gotcha. Um, and if you want to uh, look up all those components that I just mentioned, castle.com, or it might be .org, C-A-S-E-L. I've got a really cool um, uh, sort of Venn diagram of all those components and how teachers need to be aware of each part of that um, in order for a child to learn. So do you think teachers or educators in general would teach differently if they did or didn't have a degree or background in psychology? Um, I mean, if they, if it was a good background in psychology, I think it'd definitely help. Um, if it was, um, just enough to think they can diagnose, I think that's dangerous. Um, teachers should be out of diagnosing what's going on with children, um, and into the, how do I deal with what they're diagnosed with? So having someone on the outside doing that, um, and then having the teacher understand it so a deeper understanding of psychology would be helpful um but knowing what the accommodations are um so if a, you know uh, a child has a hard time with um you know stress you know the, that endurance piece how does a teacher not just say just don't stress out about it um, but understand that that anxiety is is caused what the cause is the root cause um, and then what kind of steps do we take to lower the anxiety? So, um, writing a paper, some, some children see a blank piece of paper and it just brings all kinds of anxiety. But if a teacher can work with them and chunk it, you know, so there's a little bit, we're just going to do this part now and we're going to do this part of this part and this part, or, uh, graph it on a piece of paper where they, they see it and they can understand it that way. Have you had any, have you ever been to a psychologist or had to work with one? Yep. Uh, I, mine just retired. So I've been going to a psychologist since I was before seminary, but the one I went to in seminary, um, I think I went like twice a week for a while. And then, um, uh, when I left seminary, I stopped seeing him and then I found out he was doing FaceTime. Um, and I could meet with him. So I started meeting with him once a week and then I went to once a month and he's, he just retired. So my last session with him was, um, last month, November 5th. Oh, so, wow. Yeah. I think it's great. Um, it, you know, knowing the more you know about yourself, the better you are going to be in, in life. Um, and doesn't mean it, anything's going on. It's just, it's like brushing your teeth. It's a habit that, um, I think it's good. And, you know, there's always things that as human beings we're working on, if we start settling in on everything's great, that's when I think things don't, aren't so great. <laughs> we can convince ourselves of that. So was that, there was another part of that question I forgot. Have you ever worked with one? Yeah. I mean, that's, yeah, uh, we've had, 
children psychologists on campus. My own children went to get learning um, psychological evaluations. They're all dyslexic. Um, and and then with the kids here, we, we constantly are working with them. And so we, there's a group that we bring in on campus now um, and they kind of push into the classroom and observe for all kinds of different reasons. So, um, you know, that child may be going through the tough patch and we just bring him in. Uh, there may be a behavioral issue going on and we are not seeing what they are identifying in the class. And so they'll come in or um, if a child's working through something, um, some sort of diagnosis um, that has to do with that social emotional piece, they can come in and help with the coping skills. Anxiety is another one, so they can come in and help with that. So you mentioned your children are all dyslexic. Have they ever had a bad experience in school and like with the learning process? You've had to like... Yeah, most, I mean, the way we figured it out, um, we were living up in uh, sort of a rural area. And um, my oldest daughter, who's very confident, started losing confidence. And we couldn't figure out what that was about. So we realized she wasn't reading and my mother's a uh, learning specialist, so she very quickly kind of armchair psychology, um, a, a term, sort of a lay person's idea that she probably had dyslexia. And we moved to Atlanta to get her the resources she needed and got her tested. And she started here at St. Benedict's and then she went to a school that deals just with dyslexia and her, com her confidence and self-esteem like popped right back. Um, and I think a lot of it has to do with um, a misunderstanding of what that diagnosis is. And at an early age, thinking that they're just not trying hard enough, children aren't trying hard enough. And so I think that's the biggest impact. And then in the social environment, seeing that their, their peers are doing much better and being afraid to answer a question or read out loud or um, that kind of thing. Do you think the expectations we put on children now on like academics influence how children behave now? No, um, it's a good question because the soft skills that I was just talking about with social emotional learning, um, I think those are becoming more and more important, uh, especially like college, some colleges during COVID dropped um, the standardized tests and went to having alumni interview um, and get a better feel for who the person is. Um, so yes, I, I, I think the pressure on especially standardized testing is um, uh, over relied upon for placement um, in schools. And I think um, some level of learning is that way. If you know you're in an advanced class and somebody else is in a regular class, you know, people in regular class feel like they're stupid when really they're they're not. They're just learning at a different pace. And then um, trying to get kids to see that it's not just the the grade that matters; it's what you're learning. Um, most like I taught ancient history. Um, most of that can be Google. You know, you, you can just regurgitate dates and that kind of thing. The important thing to me was teaching the ideas behind it that are still relevant today and then thinking about why they turned out the way they did and how they were then and how they are now and um, religion or politics or even how you create a tool. Um, 
like the one we're on right now. You know, that, that to me is more, more effective teaching. So yeah, I think we put way too much pressure on grades. Um, and I mean, getting my master's in education, a lot of that had to do with the fact that, um, the federal government felt like they needed a way to measure how to give money. And the only way they knew how to do that was through standardized testing. At St. Benedict's, we use standardized testing to make sure St. Benedict's is doing a good job. It's not necessarily about the student and it doesn't create a situation where they don't move on if they don't pass. Um, but it allows us to see that we are, you know, in general, 30 kids are taking a test and they're not doing, all of them aren't doing this so well in one area of competency. We know we're not doing a good job as, as educators. So I think that's a better way to use standardized testing than um, having it measure your worth and whether or not you get into the school that you want. Um, so, and then learning for learning's sake, I, a good educator will teach a child how to love to learn as opposed to how good you're doing on the test. Yeah. And that should be how you do it on test. If everybody failed, that's, that's on the teacher, not the student. <laughs> yeah. So like faculty, like nurses and librarians are included in like every school. Do you think psychologists should be included too, along with counselors to help children? Yeah. So that's a great question at St. Benedict's. I mean, we brought in a counselor, um, and I feel still very strongly that um, the counselor doesn't become the psychologist for the student on campus. It's um, a soft place to land and then a place that has resources that can be used outside the school by the family. Um, and I, I think with chaplains who have enough training, we, we can meet with the student, have be a soft place to land, not diagnose them, but be able to give them the resources they need for a diagnosis or talk through an issue or get the kind of help that they need. School counselors are definitely needed because you got to get into college and they're trying to help you uh, with that next step. So that's sort of what we call outplacement. Um, and our outplacement person is Mrs. Shemansky who sees you guys come into the school through assessments and placement into a classroom all the way through to the end and they can, she can talk to you about what might be a good fit for you in, in high school and um, help you move along. So I think that's that should be the key job of a counselor is to um, is sort of the academic side and then what's next. And then a school psychologist um, can help teachers see that the diagnosis is this and this is how you deal with it in the classroom. But it's not somebody that you would go to on a weekly basis like I did my therapist. So you're the head of a school of a private Episcopal school. Do you think religion has to do with how children live their life and view education and family? Yeah, I mean, it. Um, I don't think you have to be Christian per se, but as you know, um, Episcopal education it is, it includes all religions. And we try to be um, open to where everybody is as a learning experience for other children in the, in the building. So most of us are Christian, about maybe less than 5% of us were are Episcopalian. Um, and they get exposed to worship. So if you think of that as a connection to God or 
a time to just take a, a break from learning and it's, it's about something bigger than you, um, that to me is important. And so our religion program is teaching the sacred stories when they're children and, um, you weren't here when we got a, a much more, um, robust curriculum for middle school, but it went into going deeper and in, into what the readings mean in the Bible, both the, um, new Testament and the Hebrew scriptures. But then by eighth grade, you're doing ethics. And I think, um, if we think about places in the world that have had, um, human conflict, the places that dealt best with that and persevered were religious leaders. So Gandhi would be one good example. Um, would be the change you want to see. And he's, he's obviously Hindu. Um, South Africa is another one. Bishop Tutu was, um, an Anglican, which is Episcopal, um, but not, not Episcopal because it's not America. Um, he was able to do the truth and reconciliation there. And then Martin Luther King Jr. I think was a great example of the civil rights movement and, um, someone who put that in or, you know, um, Malcolm X, who was, um, you know, on the Muslim side and sort of had a, a more, uh, direct approach um, than the, the sort of pacifist, nonviolent approach of Martin Luther King. So, yeah, I think religion um, speaks to things that are beyond us. And um, in order to succeed in life, we all have to look for something bigger, even if it's community, which is at the center of, of religion. So, yeah. pandemic is a great example of that. Yeah. Who's, who's, who's choosing to um, help those around us and who's sort of, you can't tell me what to do. Yeah. So do you think you taking a po the position of head of school was affected by having children yourself? Um, I don't even know how to answer that because they're such a big part of my life. I've always loved children. So my first, um, thoughts about being ordained were doing youth work. Um, so that was before I was even married. And even before I went to college, I did summer camps and there were priests who would come up and, um, that's sort of where I think the two got, uh, combined as I would see them working with youth and knowing that I wanted to do that one day and that there's, um, a little more status as an ordained person and you can affect change a lot better as an ordained person than as a lay person. Um, in my opinion, it, there's more variety to it. And, um, as you have seen me around campus, I like to jump from thing to thing to thing to thing to thing. Um, so this is, I, I think this is just the next step. I did youth work, um, in two churches before I went up to, um, that rural area I was talking about in the mountains and they brought me up to bring youth to the church, but I was dealing with sort of a retirement community. And when we needed to move, um, it was very intentional that I came to a place that had a school. And I was looking at another church and it was sort of the same thing that I was doing up there, but bigger. And this had the component of working with kids. So definitely, you know, on my, the first time I went to work without a child in the car. Um, cause up in the mountains, we had a pre pre K and child care program. And then here at St. Benedict's was like two years ago when Ace graduated. 
when you graduated. So that next year, uh, that was it. I was all by myself in the car. I could listen to NPR instead of silly morning shows. Okay, so for the last final question today, how do you think psychology would benefit teachers when they're trying to help students? I'd step back to that empathy. I think it would just give them another tool in the toolbox. Um, I think they have, they could have access to it. Um, like I told you, we bring people on and they, they do meet with the teachers, but if they had it indirectly or they were an undergrad and they got their master's in education, um, having an understanding of all of the different diagnoses and sort of what category they're in, how they deal with learning, how they deal with uh, working with other kids or with the teacher and authority, um, you know, with the middle school, how um, certain mental um, and psychological uh, components there are to adolescents, which are plethora, um, and things can go haywire really quick and they could just be simple or they could be complex. I think that would be great. And then knowing different ways of um, dealing with humanity. I think psychologists know, you know, what can trigger certain things. And if a teacher knew that, then they might better be able to So I, I hope you guys really enjoy that little interview and I hope that you have a wonderful weekend day and that you'll learn to love yourself. Yeah. So thank you. And I'll see you guys whenever the next episode is posted. Bye.